Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Forging the Path. This is a podcast that's all about helping men become the men that God has created them to be. Uh, and if ever there was a time in our society where we needed that, it's now. People are so confused about who they are and whose they are, and we just we see the enemy attacking men in a number of different areas, trying to make them passive, trying to get them distracted, and so we want to enter into that conversation and be an encouragement for men to follow Jesus and fulfill their calling on their lives. And today, I'm really, really stoked to have um, this amazing friend of mine. I've gotten to know him just in the last couple years, but it seems like longer. Sterling Roberts, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, bro, so much. I, I'm really grateful. Uh, what I want our audience to know about you, Sterling, is, first of all, I, I get to work with your wife <laughs> in real estate. Uh, Sterling's wife, Lakeisha, is, uh, is at the same company as me and my wife, and she is a blessing every single time I see her in the office. She's like this ray of sunshine. Like when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, I think of Lakeisha every time she walks in the room. Uh, it's, there's, there's a brightness and a joy that's there. Sterling and Lakeisha have three amazing, strong, young men, sons in the home. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have them in our home and to be in their home and watch them do what I think is just such godly, healthy parenting. Um, and I would want you to know that Sterling is the area director for Young Life in all of Milwaukee. And so this is, this is a true leader, a servant leader. And Sterling has also, last thing I'll say, Sterling, you've also been the leader of our men's group that meets once a month for the, like the last year. And you've been specifically talking to us about what discipleship should and could look like. So I've learned so much from you in that area as well. So thanks again. That's, that, is there anything you'd like to add to that little bit of an introduction that you think would be helpful for our audience to know about you? Uh, no, I think you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, bro. Yeah. Well, good. Okay. I wanted to do a great job because you deserve that. Um, real quick, before we get into some of these other questions, Sterling, can you just share with our audience a little bit of your story, how you came to faith in Christ, you know, and, and you can even touch on some things with marriage and family and career if you'd like. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up here in Milwaukee, born in Chicago, but raised here in Milwaukee. And um, as a kid, just enjoyed life, you know, um, very outgoing, loved people and, you know, just involved in a lot of different activities, sports, Boy Scouts, stuff like that. Um, you know, that was the one side of my life. There was another side more inward that I had some challenges with, um, just, you know, just as a result of being picked on in school and, and things like that, just had some insecurities and dealt with the lack of self-confidence growing up. And, um, and so, you know, even though I played sports, I was around a lot of people inwardly, you know, I would just really wish that people wouldn't pick on me and that I could mm -hmm. be loved and it felt more secure about myself. Um, and, you know, it's funny because years later I talked to my mom about this and she said, I, I never knew that. She said, every time I saw you, you were always smiling. Oh, wow. And that's one of the things that, you know, I think I'm still good at today is that, you know, regardless of what's happening, I can still 
I can operate in a way where it's not always showing that things are happening sometimes. Right. right. Um, but I've learned to be more vocal about it though at the same time. So kind of that kind of leads into my faith. I was raised to attend church and active in church, choir, usher board, um, just many different um, activities within the church. And there came a time when I was uh, 12 years old where we used to have a lock-in at the church that we attended. And this one, it was every January, this one year, I was I was in sixth grade, I believe, fifth or sixth grade, sixth grade. And at this lock-in, they had this guy, he was 19 years old, he came and spoke at this lock-in. Hmm. And he shared the gospel. Like, I had never, it's almost, even to this day, I can remember, it was, it was almost like I had never heard it that way or wow. that clear. Wow. And what stood out to me even to this day is him sharing about sin and how it impacts us and the consequences of it, but how much God loved us and how he gave his life for us. And I remember that night is a night that like I truly felt God's presence and I gave my life to Jesus that night. I, I, I surrendered to the Lord that night. Um, and actually a lot of us in the room did that night. And so from that point on, you know, I knew I had Jesus in my heart. However, I wasn't being discipled. <laughs> and so I didn't really know how to grow in Christ. And so it wasn't until my freshman year in high school where um, I was at the point where still dealing with the residue of insecurity and, and some of the being picked on from elementary and my friends from elementary went to middle school with me. So dealing with it even there. And I was at a place where I was just like, you know, I, I was in the hallway at school and I said, God, I'm just tired of like not really being confident in myself. And I just want to be loved for who I am. I'm tired of other people's thoughts or comments impacting me the way that they do. Mm. And I heard in my head God's voice at 14 say, only I can love you that way. And that, to this day, I remember it to this day. And I remember I said that day in my head to God, I said, when I go to church on Sunday, I'm going to rededicate my life. And that Sunday, when the opportunity opportunity was given to surrender to Christ for the first time or rededicate, I remember going and rededicating my life. And I have not looked back since. Wow. And, um, and that really... That same day, my mom just, the Lord spoke to her and said to her, God is calling you into ministry. And she said one of the most freeing things after that was that um, doesn't mean that you'll be in a pulpit. And so as I see how my life has unfolded, um, from that day forward, like I really wanted my friends to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I would, I remember, and I would share my faith with my friends. And I remember reading the Bible for the first time, and it made sense to me. I was reading the book of John. Read it all the way through. It made sense. And one of the scriptures that just stood out to me was to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who was in heaven. I like that scripture guided my life hmm. from freshman year, freshman year of high school, even to this day that I had this conscious awareness that if I want people to know Jesus and if I want to that, you know, that is connected to how I live my life, not just what I say, yep. but how I live it. 
And so I've made some pretty conscious choices from that point on and what I was going to engage in and not engage in and how even changing. I used to cuss. I wasn't cussing anymore. I practiced not cussing. (laughs) And just things like that. And so to this day, I still have friends from high school who, who will still point out that they they saw that light in me in high school. Um, and so that's when I really got serious about God. And so when I graduated, I went off to college at Auburn University of Montgomery and got connected with this ministry called Young Life, which mm-hmm. is still doing it now, <laughs> over 20 years later. Um, but I got involved with Young Life, and it was, the, it was a platform where I could now share my faith with other teenagers. And I loved it. And got involved as a volunteer, ended up working part-time while in college. And so I was in school in Montgomery, Alabama, and moved to Atlanta, Georgia to do Young Life while still a college student. What were you going to school for? I was going to school for mass communication. My okay. focus, my, my goal was to do radio, TV, and film. I wanted to work in a TV station um, working with cameras. Okay. And that's that, that was my plan. Yeah. So I go off to college, and I started, I majored in that. But I got involved with Young Life, and I had the opportunity to move to Atlanta. So I moved to Atlanta, did Young Life there, finished school at Clark Atlanta University. And that's where I met my wife. We were attending uh, church together. And so we got married, and then we had our first son. And at this time, I am doing Young Life full time. Towards the end of my college career... I had a choice to make. Do I go into this field of TV production and working at a news station or whatever, or do I continue working for Young Life? It was at that moment where I realized I had more of a passion to work with teenagers than I did to go into the field of my major or or of my study. And it was at that moment I realized that God was calling me to do Young Life at the time in my head, Young Life full time. It has evolved to understand it was ministry full-time. Yeah. But at the time, it was, hey, to do Young Life full-time. And so that's, although I had my plans, God had his plans. And so spent a lot of money to not do what I went to school for. <laughs> and so, um, but met my wife, and we got married, had our son, one son in Atlanta, and then I got a, the opportunity to do Young Life in Houston, Texas. Mm. And so I moved to Houston, Texas, and was there for seven years, had two of my, our last two boys were born in Houston. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, prior to that, I, I was a youth pastor for a couple of years before moving to Houston, coming back on Young Life staff in Houston. And then moved to Milwaukee seven years ago to start Young Life here in Milwaukee. Wow. Seven years. Seven years. <laughs> yes. So that's, that's a little bit of your story. I love what you were saying when you were 14, how mm-hmm. you heard God clearly tell you, only I can love you yes. that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a word that he says to all mm-hmm. of us. And yes. when we're searching, hungry for that unconditional, unfailing mm-hmm. agape love, yeah. it's like, you're yeah. not going to get that anywhere else but mm-hmm. God. Sure. And that is, and, and, and so for what Young Life is, is a ministry, it's international. Our goal our focus, our mission is to go to kids that don't know Jesus, mm-hmm. that don't attend church, who may be the furthest out. And we bridge that gap between those kids and Jesus. We go invest our lives in them and we share 
God's love with them and share the gospel and give those kids a chance to respond and have this life. And one of the things that drives me in this all the time, I could take those, those words, only I can love you this way. And that is the foundation of what drives and motivates me in this mission, in this ministry, is that for kids who are out here and anybody, what we're looking for, what we're longing for, things that the life we're longing to have, only God can love you that way. And that's the message that, you know, I think everyone needs to hear. Yeah. Because if not, we waste our time trying to find that in other places and we won't find it there. Yeah. 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 Amen. For sure. So given all of your experience and given your current calling mm-hmm. and ministry, you and because you've taught me a lot about this over the last year in our men's group, what would you say... This leads really well into this next question. What does it mean to be a disciple? You know, that's a word that we hear a lot in church yeah. or, you know, churchianity, as I like to call it. Like, <laughs> it's a biblical word. It's a great word, mm-hmm. but it's not a word that you're going to hear mm-hmm. in the grocery store, uh, at the restaurant, sure. you know, at the movie theater. And so how do we, what does it mean to make a disciple? Mm-hmm. And how do we bring that word into our current context so that people... Yeah really understand it Mm -hmm. sure and that's a great question i remember some years ago um talking with one of my mentors who was actually my supervisor at the time in in ministry in young life and one of the most profound things he said is that before we can make disciples we have to know what a disciple looks like Mm. and that just made so much sense to me and it was like, oh, my God, it was like so profound. Like, man, I've never thought about it that way because there are so many things that we will endeavor to do. Or, is, But it's just like getting in, into a car. You don't know where to go unless you know where you're headed, right? Yep. You got to know what it looks like and it, or a house. You can't build a house until you've already laid out the plans. And, does, and what when this is done, what is it supposed to, to look like? And if we had 50 believers in the room and we asked them, you know, what does it mean to make a disciple? <laughs> and we asked them, or we asked them, what does it look like? A lot of people wouldn't know what to say, right? It would be different answers. Yeah. And so I think we have to begin with the end in mind. What is it that we're after? What is it that the Bible says a disciple should look like? And this is something we've been talking about for a year now. Yep. And I do believe that... Um, you know, even in the book that that we're reading, um, the real life discipleship, um, it talks about this idea, which to me is just so simple, is that the answer is in the question or in what Jesus stated to the disciples, the apostles, when he approached them on the Sea of Galilee. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mm. So, if you, what is a disciple? Uh, is a person who follows Christ. That's number one. They get behind Christ and when we follow someone we give up our right and uh, of to go the direction we want to go in we may want to go left but if the leader says we're going right then we go right and so it's not just obedience in the sense of a genuine obedience or just because they said it but it's because we trust the leader because we mm. believe that they know what they're doing and know where they're going and understand this better than we do so we follow Jesus because we know and believe hey, he knows He's created all things, right? He's yeah. got this. Number two is that we 
The idea of making, I will make you. We allow him to make us, to shape us, and to mold us into the men and women that he wants us to be. And ultimately, the goal is to make us more like him, to restore us back to the image of himself, which in the garden was corrupted. This time, to be incorruptible when all things are said and done in eternity, right? Right. And so disciples, when follows him, that, that surrenders to his shaping and molding. We're the potter, we're the clay, he's the potter, and we allow him to do in our life what he wants to do. And then the last part is to, uh, he said, I will make you fishers of men. That that was his mission, to go and reach lost people. And that is, his mission becomes our mission. His priority, his kingdom priorities becomes becomes our priority. And so that is what, it means to be a disciple that we also engage in the process of evangelizing and discipling yeah. lost people. Yeah. I love that summary Sterling. So, so follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, those three points, uh, super simple, right? <laughs> Very, <laughs> but not easy. Correct. Simple, but not easy. So, so, okay. We kind of got uh, an idea of what a disciple looks like based on what Jesus said follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But what does discipleship look like at its best mm-hmm. in this context right now, 2023 mm-hmm. going into 2024, mm-hmm. especially among men, because this mm-hmm. is, this is where I really would love your insights. Mm-hmm. I think that, Oh, I'm going to maybe misquote, but the statistics lately of church population and attendance mm-hmm. is, is vastly women. Yeah. It's I think it's in the 60 percentile, 65 mm. something. It's almost two thirds of the people sure. in the churches on any given Sunday morning mm-hmm. are women. So we need a little help. Like what <laughs> what does discipleship look like at its best, especially among men? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting as you bring up that statistic, because if they're not at church, where are they? Right. Right. So something else is capturing their attention. There are other places that they show up golf courses, basketball games, athletics, whatever it is, there are other things that are capturing their attention. And one of the things that I know as men, like, you know, one thing that I don't really like to do is talk on the phone. Now, (laughs) but I could spend an hour or two hours bowling with you. I'll go to the gun range with you. I will go do things with you. But just to sit and talk on the phone, that's maybe not, not my thing. Right. And so I say that to say that with men, we like to do things together. And so one of the most important aspects of discipleship is relationship. If we want to disciple and captivate men, we've got to go be with them. We've got to spend time with them. We've got to go do things, engage with them in things that they enjoy. And that a lot of conversation happens there. A lot of, and it's not just a conversation, but it's also, you can't lead anybody or if if you don't have any influence and influence comes through relationships. And so I believe that we take the time to engage men in life, not just in the four walls of the church and our programs, but in life. And we can be authentic and be real and talk about real issues. Men, generally speaking, love to be able to just, you know, cause we see all the time, man, you know, just, you know, we just want to be men. We just want to be boys and we want to just have real talk. We would, people get cigars and sit around and, and drinks and just talk about real life, right? Yeah. So if we were able to just make discipleship not just this 
systematic, programmatic thing, but make it about I'm getting to know you. We're going to live life together. That will engage men in this process and it and you earn influence this way. And now from there, you have this influence, you have their attention. Now it's just about guiding them. Yeah. It's about if, you know, making sure that we're talking about God's word, whether that's, you know, organically, we're just sitting around and we're having a good time and we're talking, or if it's intentional, hey, we're going to set aside time to go through God's word because that's part of discipleship is the Bible, te- you know, Jesus says to teach others what I've taught you, right? Teach them to observe or to obey what I've taught you. And so we're just transferring what was already laid out in scripture to other men. Um, in a way that makes sense, in a way that's real, in a way that captures and 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 impacts them where they are in mm-hmm. life, and so we have organic and intentional times about that. It takes authenticity. We've got to be able to share our own lives and trans- authenticity and transparency. We've got to be real about our lives. You know, we can't just say, "Here's what the Bible says about marriage. Here's what the Bible says how you should treat your wife and how you should raise your kids and how you should handle money." Well, let's open up our book. Hey, we haven't always handled money so well. You know, um, mm. I'm struggling with raising my kids. There are some challenges that I'm facing because that disarms people. It opens people up to say, man, I'm not the only one. And I can trust someone who is real and honest about themselves, who will be willing to be vulnerable for me. And then I can see, man, they're down to earth just like I am. And I can trust them with my stuff because they're willing to share their own. Yeah, And so I think, you know, all of that, that relationship, that intentionality in talking about God's word, but then also modeling. And that's where that relationship comes in. They need to see a husband set aside time to spend with his wife, to put the calendar, the date nights on the calendar or say, no, I'm not going to go and do X, Y, and Z because my, my kids have a game tonight. I'm going to my kids' game. I'm driving them here and there. And that's one thing, you know, my wife had to help me get to that place in my life where I was prioritizing her as number one in my life and um, having those date nights. I've had to grow to that place. But one thing that I can say is that I've had some of the teenagers that I've worked with as well as some other men affirm me in saying, man, I admire how you spend time with your wife and your children and just how you make time make time for them and you prioritize them. And I've heard a lot of, I think I've gotten a lot of compliments on that. Mm-hmm. And so that goes back to that modeling because it's one thing to say what to do or how you should be. It's nothing to see it yeah. lived out. And I think that's what Jesus did as we... Think about how we do this today. The principles of Jesus are still the same. It may look different in this day and time, but it's still the same. He didn't tell people, hey, turn the other cheek. He showed them what it's like to get smacked or be, you know, persecuted. And he looks the other way, right? He didn't, when they were smacking him and spitting on him and, uh, you know, and, 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 and ridiculing him on the way to the cross, he didn't get on the cross and snap his fingers and wipe everybody out. He humbly accepted what God was allowing to happen for the reason, for the bigger purpose, which we all know today, right? Yeah. But he did not go and take vengeance out on people, even in the garden when he was being arrested. He didn't rebel and go fight against the the Roman soldiers. 
you know, even told Peter, hey, we don't cut people's ear, ears off. <laughs> you know, and he picked the ear up and put it back on, right? And so yeah. I think that's a great yep. foundation for how we need to, you know, um, disciple. Oh, I love that so much. So there, there's just a few things I want to uh, mm-hmm. kind of double down on that I heard you say. Sure. First one, uh, you said we got to engage with men and do the things that they enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Meet them where they're at. And it strikes me as, as kind of laughable that a lot of churches or even, you know, parachurch ministries mm-hmm. still think that the best way to rally men is, hey, come to a coffee shop, grab a latte, and let's talk <laughs> about our feelings. Yeah. Like that, like, yeah. there's still, like, I still see, this is our men's group. We, mm-hmm. we meet at this coffee shop and we, you bring your Bible, we'll do a little Bible study, but then let's talk. And we sit in a circle. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that men are, are wired a little bit differently than women in that uh, throughout history, mm-hmm. the times when men have really bonded and have mm-hmm. been, you, you see a brotherhood that's formed are either when they're facing an enemy mm-hmm. and they have to stand shoulder to shoulder mm-hmm. and battle that enemy. Yes. And they, they form a brotherhood. We see guys, you know, rugged war men, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. like talk about each other like mm-hmm. with this sensitive like they're bonded because they had yes. battle together yeah or or we see men stand shoulder to shoulder because they're gonna um they're gonna build something bigger than themselves mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna build a barn they're gonna build a house they're mm-hmm. gonna build a business yes. they're gonna build a ministry but they're standing shoulder to shoulder and they're like let's build something that's bigger than ourselves and as they do that there's a something that's yes. forged there mm-hmm. and so why why aren't we as men in our approach to discipling other men, mm-hmm. meeting them where they're at, standing, looking for opportunities to do more of the shoulder to shoulder. You're right. Like bowling, go into the gun range mm-hmm. and, it, and it's okay if bowling's not your thing or, or, or the gun range isn't yeah. your thing. Maybe it's golfing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a pickup game of basketball. Fishing. Fishing. There's, there are hundreds of different things you could do besides let's sit in a circle and talk mm-hmm. about our feelings. Yeah. Most of the time men don't really bond that way. Mm-hmm. They, let's go fight a common enemy yeah. or let's go build something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that involves more of a shoulder to shoulder kind of approach. Sure. That so yeah. What do you want to yeah. say to that? What well, yeah. Think? So I'll add to that. And I, I do think there's value in sitting around in a circle, the coffee shop, whatever it is. Or sure. I know men who've gotten together for breakfast um, for, for two and three years and disciple one another, you know, each other that way. I think that's great. But how, however, you can't always start there, right? Right. You have to engage them where they are, yeah, and do other things, and then you will lead them to those moments. But those moments aren't the end of all things, right? It's a part of the process, right? Because there's a time where we can just sit around a table, and you know, even like for our time, we do it once a month. We get around a table, we we have a book we're reading, and we discuss it. Yep. But we can't do that and make that the 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 key way that we disciple the end all be all yes it's it's all inclusive you're right you're right that and that's a good so yeah i don't don't want to oversteer and try and overcorrect like men should never do that Mm -hmm. no 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 getting in a circle that's it's i think it's even biblical jesus probably sat Mm -hmm. around plenty of campfires with his disciples and they talked deeply Mm -hmm. about how they were feeling about their emotions i just 
I'm, all I'm saying is that they didn't just do that. Sure. Then Jesus led them to a town where they were going to do ministry. They were going to heal the sick. They were going to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. They were going to cast out demons. Yeah. And he sent them two by two. And I think that is a key piece of real discipleship mm-hmm. that is largely missing from a lot yes. of our churches. Yes, yeah, I agree. When it's just, let's get in a circle and talk. Mm-hmm. I think that is is missing something. Yes. Anyway, uh, that, that was well stated by you. I also love what you said about Vulnerability is key. Mm-hmm. When we approach discipling others with this uh, arrogance or <laughs> cockiness, pr- pride, like, oh, I have all the answers. Let me tell them to you. Yeah. It's far better to say, hey, let me tell you about when I was your age and all the things I struggled with. Let me tell you about how I still struggle with mm-hmm. things. I'm still on a journey. I'm not perfect. I'm still in the process mm-hmm. of sanctification. The Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder every day yes. and convicts me yes. about areas where I need to grow. And when we lead with that kind of vulnerability, which can be hard to do with men, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, that I think, I think God loves those moments and uses them very powerfully. And so I, yeah. I really like what you said, how vulnerability is key. The last thing that I heard you say that was really a great quote was, you can't just say it, you got to see it. Mm-hmm. it seeing and, and demonstrating along with the teaching and declaring. Mm-hmm. It, it's, so that involves, and I think you and I have both experienced that, that yes. might involve living with other people for a season. That might involve at least opening up your home for a meal yeah. and, and bringing people in. Hey, watch how I parent my kids. Mm-hmm. See it. You're not just going to hear me preach it to you. Watch how I resolve a conflict with my wife. Mm -hmm. I I know a guy who is just a wonderful pastor and disciple maker who, when someone was living with him, he and his wife started arguing Mm -hmm. and they were like going to excuse themselves like, oh, we we better let you guys work it out. And he said, no, 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 sit, sit right there. Sit down. Watch us get through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we disagree. Yeah, we're having an argument right now, but watch how we continue to work through it. And an hour later, they're coming together in mm-hmm. agreement and the husband and wife are holding hands and praying mm-hmm. for each other. And this young couple got to witness that and mm-hmm. say, oh, that's how you resolve conflict mm-hmm. as a Jesus follower. Yes, That's how a husband listens to his wife and mm-hmm. asks for forgiveness. And that's how a wife listens to her husband and says, oh, I'm sorry for some things too. Like, yeah. We both can grow. Yeah. And then they pray together. That's beautiful. So that demonstration mm-hmm. is key. So you don't just say it, you got to see it. Yes. And I think, you know, even looking at scripture, you know, there are so many things in our world that can convince us that God's way is not going to work. Right. And so when you think, right. think about Daniel, when um, the king wanted them to eat the food of everyone else. And Daniel says, uh-uh, mm. allow us to eat the, the food of our king, right? Who was God, right? Who was Jesus. And no one could tell anyone that Daniel can eat this food and still accomplish the physical goal that the king had for his servants, right? Yep. And so, but he did it and boom, Daniel was stronger and healthier than all, all <laughs> than you know, from eating the food that he believed was, was the food God wanted him to eat versus the the king's food, right? That was probably offered to idols, right? That's right. And so, and then you look at um, even, well, I love this example, Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A, we know is a, 
you know, is a is a company that is owned by believers, Christians, and yeah. they don't work on Sundays. Right. <laughs> but now I haven't gone to look at the stats, but how well are they doing compared to McDonald's or Burger King and all? And they don't work on oh, Sundays, they're right? They're crushing yeah. but, everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but doing it in, to some as best as they can, like God's way, right? Yep. But seeing the success that comes from it. And so even like you going back to what you said, our marriages and, and raising our kids, finances, when we do things God's way, when people can see people tangibly engaging in disagreements or running a business, contrary to what the world of society says, but saying, hey, we're imp- we're implementing God's principles in this, but to see how God blesses it and how people are successful and healthier, even if it doesn't always equate to financial success like some other people, but they're healthier, they're healthier, the, the quality of life is so much richer yes, sir. because they're doing it God's way. And mm. so, and so that's just an, even another aspect to the example that people, you know, people need to see an example because man, it, it blows them away, man. Man, I can really do this God's way and get this result. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, so that it goes a long way. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. And so that kind of leads me now to, to this mm-hmm. thought. All right. Well, People need to see it and not just hear it, but, but this all sounds really, really simple. However, what we haven't addressed yet is the fact that there is some serious spiritual warfare and opposition to the whole desire and design of discipleship. Like when, when you make it a priority to influence others closer to Christ and to mentor them in the word of God and help them become more like Jesus, mm-hmm. your life faces more opposition. Yes. <laughs> and that's a lot of time. Well, we don't say, so Hey, you're going to share the gospel more. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're going to, you're going to pour your life into other young men, young women, help them become like Jesus mm-hmm. so that they can then in turn do the same thing. Guess what? You just got a big bullseye put <laughs> on your back by the enemy yeah. who's very real and he hates this whole concept. Mm-hmm. Like if he cannot steal your salvation, which he can't, mm-hmm. he will try and make you as as tame and as neutered as possible, as ineffective as possible. He does not want you to make disciples. Yes. And so he's going to confront you. So Sterling, what about spiritual warfare? What should our understanding of this be as, as husbands, as fathers, as leaders, and as disciple makers? Yeah. One, it's real. <laughs> yeah. You know, you are so right that um, once someone is, is locking on and, and, and understanding and engaging in what God has for them and what understanding that, man, God wants me to give my life away to enter into someone else's life and spend time and hang out and share his truth. And, and, and then especially kind of hold hold some people accountable to living out this truth. Oh, God does not want, I mean, Satan does not want to see that happen. Right. So, yeah. So I think, um, so I think first it begins with having clarity on what it is God is is saying that we need to do to disciple, right? Because when we go through the challenges, we can then begin to dismiss some of the, oh, well, that's not that important. I don't really have to go and, <laughs> and spend time with Adam all the time like I do. Uh, you know, we can just do it over Zoom. Or, you know, I can just talk to them every two months or whatever, right? So, but we once we're clear on, you know what, 
These are the most effective principles of discipleship. And it's not because we made them up because we see this throughout scripture. Now, you know what? Now, it, I think that's the foundation of having the ability to begin to weed through some of the warfare, right? Mm -hmm. We first, now, now, if I have to go spend time with Adam, time is one of the most precious things we have. And it's one of the most, um, our time and our money are all just, we're, we're busy, Yep. We are crazy busy. Yes. I know people who are on 15 nonprofit boards or business boards and you know some you know I, I know people who are working two or three jobs or you know or even in the job that they have whether it's real estate or certain types of types of jobs where your limit to having clients and making more money is like limitless almost. <laughs> it may, at least it feels that way because yep. we have more yep. clients than we can really handle. Yep. Um, and we don't ever turn down an opportunity because why? That's more money we can make because we have financial goals or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so we can find ourselves not but feeling like we don't have time. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's one of the ways that the warfare comes in. Um, the need for money um, you know, uh, I have to work. I've got to make this amount of money because I, I need retirement. My kids have to go to college one day or, or, or are in college. You know, we have to pay our bills and our electricity and we need all these different things happening. And so sometimes we can create a lifestyle that requires a certain amount of money to keep moving. <laughs> and, you know, and so... And we think that's how it's supposed to go. And, you know, and so now we're so busy trying to pay off these, to pay our bills and get ourselves set for the future. So I think some of the distractions come from our kind of our own making, what we have to do in society. And then when we decide we're going to move forward, yes, then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden the spouse is saying, well, we haven't had time together. Now you're going to go give it to somebody else. Um, wow. Or the kids get busy with school and now we got to run them around. It's always something that the enemy tries to bring into the picture. And I do think it's important that we go back to God's word mm -hmm. to help to, as you mentioned, like the idea of this, to some degree, simplifying our lives, right? Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to our needs to exist on this earth and have our resources and all that, Jesus Plain and simple says this in Matthew 6. Okay. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says, does not your father in heaven already know you need these things? <laughs> and does he not value you more than the lilies and the trees and the flowers who they don't work, they don't toil, but he takes care of them. They're dressed he says, I think the lilies or the flowers were dressed better than Solomon in all of his glory, That's right? That's true. And so this is where being a disciple is beginning to, to be transformed in how we think and how we understand life through God's word. Yep. God says that Jesus says, and is out of his own mouth, you know what? I want you to prioritize the kingdom and its righteousness. So discipleship is part of the priority of the kingdom. So he says, put aside time for that. And you know what? You may have to turn down one of those clients. You may have to pull back from some things 
that impacts you financially, but it goes back to trusting God that he is going to make sure you have clothes, you have food, you have shelter, you have electricity, you have the, what you need for those things. Because if you're so busy doing that, you can't focus on what, on the mission. And I remember, um, I love movies <laughs> and, you know, and so I can't say I read this in a book, but I remember watching one of these military movies. And before this group of soldiers went out on a mission, the leader of those of that group said, hey, now, boys, you need to make sure that your affairs are in order. Your things with your wife, money, all those things, because he said you're going away now on this mission. And, if, and think about it, if the wife calls and says, hey, the electricity is about to be cut off. We can't pay the mortgage today like it takes you away from focusing on the mission because you're distracted by what's happening at home. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing, we're on a mission. We're soldiers in God's army. We're, we're on a battlefield mm -hmm. and there is warfare. And so we have to carry out God's mission in the earth. And when we are so distracted by the cares of this world and all these things, the devil can get to us easy. And I I'll say this, it's not even just outside of our home, when we're so busy, we can't even disciple our own kids. Oof. When we're so busy as husbands, Oof. we can't even pour into our own wives and watch our wives with the word. And vice versa, wives can invest and be a part of that discipleship, discipling their kids or or you know, playing their role, you know, fulfilling their role with their husbands or whatever it is if we're so busy with the cares of this world. And so I do think that that is a big part where the devil's not even doing it. That's us doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's us, right? Yeah. Um, and then one other aspect is just, you know, some people don't feel equipped to disciple. And I think that's where the devil gets us our own self-confidence. Um, and who are we to do this? Um, I think that that's another way the devil gets us to not even engage. And that's a place where we have to recognize that, God called us when he saved us. He called us and the Bible says that he's given us the ministry of reconcil reconciliation. And as a body, he's given us a responsibility to walk with one another, to encourage one another. So there's nothing that we can't learn how to do and practice doing if we decided we're going to trust who we are in Christ over what the devil is putting in our head that we can't do. Right. You know, so I would say those are probably some of the main, the basic things. Holy smokes. You you went right after it, my friend. You <laughs> went right after one of the biggest <laughs> idols in our culture. So what I, I, and that's what I appreciate most about you, Sterling. Sometimes we can create a lifestyle that's counterintuitive to making mm -hmm. disciples. It's, it's spiritual warfare, but of our almost of our own making. Mm -hmm. Satan yes. does. Satan kind of can sit back and be like, "Oh, I'll just that that's cool." They, they want to run after a couple of idols. That'll that's great. Mm -hmm. That'll sidetrack them from yep. making disciples very easily. Holy smokes! And that's that's I think the American church now. What, but what what do we do about it? It feels like mm -hmm. trying to escape the matrix. I mean, <laughs> Sterling, I yeah, we. We got to pay our bills. Mm -hmm. We we got to work. Work is good. Work mm -hmm. is godly. Like we got to be about some of these responsibilities. So can you give us um, a practical example of hey, what does it mean to be faithful in these areas? What what we're not encouraging anyone to do is well, you quit your job mm -hmm. and 
and don't pay your mortgage and <laughs> just try and disciple people all the time, 24. No, 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 no. Yeah. But the life of a disciple uh, who wants to make disciples, like all of life is going to be integrated in this. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to constantly be looking to bring people closer to Jesus and to pour into people wherever he leads you. Can, mm-hmm. can you share a little bit of an example that you've seen that's sure. done really well where someone isn't, they're living in the world, but they're not of the world, you know? Yeah. They're yeah. not distracted by all these idols mm-hmm. and they're really about making making more followers of Jesus. Yeah, and I will say two things. One, just uh, before I answer that, one thing I will add to is that as we go back to the reality that making disciples requires relationship, yeah. that's also a little scary for people. Ah. Being vulnerable and being close to someone and the time it takes. Not everyone is comfortable initiating relationships and maintaining them and like and you know and just you know being the the driver in that yep. um because that can be because i have to be transparent i've got to be vulnerable i have to listen to someone else <laughs> that's not always comfortable for people right and and so i think um as far as how do we turn the the ship right how do we change directions one Let's not make any knee-jerk reactions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's not the idea of, hey, just stop what you're doing and just start focusing on this. I think we all have to, first of all, begin to assess our lives, right? Because some of us have created a reality where we do need money now, whether it's debt, houses, and cars, car notes, whatever. So we, so we still have to bring in money at a certain level, right? Yes. Um, I would say this. I would say... It, it begins with prayer because wherever we are in life, no matter what it is, God is, is understanding where we are. So right now, who's ever hearing this and listening to this, I think it's important to know that God knows your life right now and your reality. And if he is allowing us to have an epiphany in this moment, the first person we need to talk to is him because he understands what needs to happen. Mm. And and he understands all the factors that go into it. So we need to come with talk with him because we may think we need to just radically change everything. He's like, oh, no, maybe a little bit at a time, right? Ah, yeah. And so, and have, a, you know, a focus on what we want to do and we eventually get to where he wants us to be. So I would say, first of all, we start with prayer. Number two, I would say we do take an assessment of our lives and of our reality and kind of identify what is what is happening in our life. What have we made a priority and begin to be present with that? Mm-hmm. Um, because that is just like with finances. If you find out that your money's all over the place and you're not doing well with money, you don't just start. OK, we're going to we're just going to cut cut this and cut that. We have to first take an assessment. Yeah. and understand where things are, why why are we spending money here, what's important, what can we really just abruptly change, and what, what, what can we not change. And I would just say begin to really take time to study God's Word and learn, read the book we're reading, Real Life Discipleship, and understand what it means to disciple, mm-hmm. and then begin to ask God, okay, what is it in my life that I can do to begin to rearrange my time, my schedule, so that I can begin to invest my life in people in this way yeah. and make that a, an important part of it? And sometimes it doesn't require, I think sometimes it doesn't mean you've got to start, okay, I'm meeting with no one 
on a weekly, on a monthly basis. Now we're going to start with people. I'm starting meeting with people once a week, right? I think we need to maybe take a little bite-sized chunks and begin to do something on some consistent level, engage in some way that's effective. Mm-hmm. And I would say, number one, if we have children, let's start at home. If we're married and have children, let's start at home. Amen. How can we first begin to live this out with our spouses, right? Yep. Especially as men. Number two, if we have children, now can I at least once a week spend time doing something with my children Yes. to begin to, to take care of that? And then... If I have time, okay, is there someone outside of my household that I could be consistent with at least once a month, you know, and be intentional of how I use that time? And it could be someone who I work with. It could be someone in my subdivision, in my neighborhood. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be someone, you know, in my church. But really be prayerful. Okay, God, who have you placed on my heart? to begin to start this process with someone. And I think that as we do that, we take off what we can handle and we'll get comfortable with even doing it and it becomes a routine. And then at some point we're making assessments as to how we can begin to change or adjust some realities in our lives. Maybe we, instead of 15 boards, we're on 10 boards. Um, Instead of working three jobs, maybe we work one job or... um, you know, some people may have to go back to school and get a certain degree to be able to make more money at a certain job or get a different skill set that allows them to condense how many jobs they're working to make one, to work one job, make more money, or go out and invest in real estate and things like that that gives them passive income to where they have the money that they need without having to work for it yeah. and giving that time away in that way. So I think there's a plethora of ways that people can assess their lives and begin to make adjustments that allows them to become, to make, to, for their lives to become more in line with God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it it may be cutting some expenses and giving up one of those homes we have. We have the vacation home, then we have our regular home. Maybe we need to sell the vacation home that allows more money to stay in house which frees us up to be more obedient to what God is calling us to do. That's so right. I don't have all the answers, but that's just some of the, 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 the I would say, things that I can think about as, as of right now. Yeah, I really appreciated how you, you, you steered people right back to the Word of God and to prayer. And so, you know, th- those steps you just outlined. Number one, it begins with prayer. Number two, a self-assessment. And number three, baby steps of obedience Mm -hmm. you know it it doesn't have to be anything um you know knee-jerk reaction uh and oversteering in in an attempt to try and correct so i I appreciated that anything else you want to add i would just add just even for me that's one thing i've had to do as my boys have gotten older um my wife was telling me when they were younger and i was very engaged in, in ministry that hey at some point like you can't always be gone, right? You've got to be able to start raising your own boys and what you're giving to kids outside of our home, your own boys need. And so as they started to get involved in sports and things like that, my time began to be taken away because I have to show up to all those things. But I've learned where for me, I have decided, I've prior, I have said, okay, Lord, help me to prioritize my life. What is priority? I know my relationship with him my my wife, my children, um, my involvement in the, with the, the larger body of Christ mm-hmm. and the ministry he's called me to through Young Life right now. And then 
Anything else outside of that, I'm asking God, is this your will? Because I have to make sure that those four or five things, that that is my responsibility. I cannot take on anything that takes me away from those. If there's, And I have to have time to sit down with my boys and read a scripture and discuss it. I have to have time to show up in their life. I have to have time to do the ministry. And even those kids, I have to show up in their life and sit down and do and walk them through scripture. And so when I, with every yes, there's a no. So everything I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to say yes to, I have to realize, does it require me to say no to one of those other things? Mm. And those are things, those, those things are primary. And so mm-hmm. anything that God is telling me to do, I believe he's given me the capacity to do it mm-hmm. and not negate anything else. And so I don't, mm-hmm. and I don't just take on other things because they're good things. God has not called us to do, to just do good things. He wants us to do God things, yeah. the things that he is saying, okay, Adam, I want you to do this. Sterling, you know what? Other people can do this, but I want you in here for this season. And so, and I also need time for myself. So I make sure that whatever I say yes to does not take away the other, take me away from the other important things I need in my own life, which is, includes my own personal time for rest. So wise. I love with every yes you yes, say, no. you're saying no to some other mm-hmm. things. Yep, that's brilliant. Hey, Sterling, to end this particular conversation, I just wanted to ask if you could if you could share your thoughts. What does it mean to be a strong, godly man? A strong, godly man for me is a person who lives according to God's word, who is following Jesus and allowing Jesus to transform his life. Mm-hmm. And to be who's committed to the mission that God has given us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's that simple. A person who the word of God and God himself is their authority in life, their final authority. Mm-hmm. And every decision that they make is according to God's word, that they strive for that. Um, and they lead and do everything within the word of God. And they seek to please God in all that they do. And I think if they're living according to God's word and seeking to please God, the things of how we engage in our marriages and how we deal with conflict in our marriage and how we love our wives and, and our spouses and our children and, and you know, the kind of character we cultivate, honesty, integrity, being gentle, all of it comes from God's word and being more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I just think of man who is totally dependent is striving to be and growing in total dependence on Jesus and realize that my life is Jesus. And I'm going to march to the beat of his drum And because I, I know he has my back. Mm. And I just want other people to see that, to experience it, and know it. So I think because often in Scripture, what in Old Testament and New Testament, what you see is God instructing people to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That even Paul says that, you know, that in my weakness, I'm made strong. Like God's strength is shown in Paul's weakness when he's dealing with the thorn in the flesh. Um, and so I think ultimately is someone who is really in tune with, man, look, my life is, is, is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And all I'm here for is to obey him, live for him, and be all he wants me to be. And I lead my family and other people in that way. Amen, bro. 
that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for being here, Stephen. Yes, thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it.